If you're just now realizing that art is politicized, you haven't been paying attention at all, ever. Every project you're working on, you should ask yourself, what am I trying to say? And it was it was one of those moments where like, oh my God, we we're just touring rock and roll roadies and we, we may have actually changed somebody's view on something in some small way. And that was cool. Welcome to the Theater Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna. On this episode, we'll be talking to Chris Lowes, who is one of our contributors, about using art as a form of protest. Chris Lowes is the Designer Relations Manager for Ayrton Lighting, international touring lighting director, programmer, and columnist who has dedicated his life to solving problems through pragmatic decision-making and calming techniques. He strives to invoke relationships and emotion through color, atmosphere, and beauty. Chris' most recent clients include Hollow Notes, Nicki Minaj, Fleetwood Mac, Don Henley, Calvin Harris, and corporate events around the globe. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That makes me sound so wonderful. I appreciate that introduction. That was great. <laughs> and we were just speaking before we started this podcast how we've been in communication for many years, yet we haven't spoken in person. So this is a huge opportunity for me too, Chris. <laughs> Every day this world gets a little bit smaller thanks to the internet. I mean, how it's amazing. I can write an article and it can be halfway across the globe before I even know who's who's seen it. Yeah. yeah. I've always been thankful to Theatre Art Life for that. No, and I, re I just really um, appreciate, before we get started, you know, your advocacy for all the things that you stand for and, and your ability to write and promote from a, a backstage technical lighting perspective, you know, because there's a lot of voices that we talk about gear and we talk about getting jobs and stuff, but the, the real issues and the real meat of, of existing and living in the industry is an important um, aspect from Theatre Art Life and I think that's why we've connected. And also, you know, you being a huge advocate for women's rights, equal rights across the board, all, all of these things in the industry, it's been fantastic. And speaking up about it, you know, it's great. Yeah, I feel like uh, the theater world is a little bit safer than a lot of other industries to speak up and openly about this. So I think we lean a little bit more liberal, but I, I do find that uh, it doesn't matter what you're speaking up about, there's going to be somebody who disagrees with you, and I, I always enjoy that. I mean, we, we've just sort of read your your history in terms of what you've been working on and things like that. But what what sort of tell us about you in terms of your confidence to speak about those things in the industry and share your thoughts and ideas and writings and podcasts? Oh boy! So as a straight white cis white privileged male, I don't have a lot to say except for my own personal experiences. But uh, I, I can tell you that it's not terribly difficult to just do some research and try and see things from other people's point of view and other people's perspective. I've always thought that our world or our theater is very inclusive. And it's not until you reach out to some other people, you're like, you know, it's not as inclusive as you think it is. There's still a lot of people out there really struggling to get to even the level that you're at. And sometimes I start to look at like, well, where am I? What am I doing that's so great? And then after you look at it from somebody else's perspective, like, oh man, you've, you've come pretty far. You should, instead of pulling up the ladder, you should reach back behind you and pull some more people up and see what you can do to let people know that, you know, where we're at is just a little bit farther on the path than a lot of other people. And we should always use our voice to help 
others whenever possible. Even though my voice comes from a place of privilege, I I, I would rather use that privilege than than uh, than wait than squander it. You know. Mm. So I started writing completely out of self-interest. I just wanted to maintain a certain level to make a short story long. When I started working for Fleetwood Mac, the touring schedule was very nice. It was a, it was a wonderful experience. We had nice hotel rooms. We had a reasonable amount of people on the bus. We had a good gender equality. We had lots of, I mean, we were paid well. Per diems were good. And when I reached that level, I wanted to make sure that that everybody knew I was at that level, right? So I started, I reached out to PLSN Magazine saying, hey, like, uh, can you guys do an article on me? And they're like, yeah, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> if we find you interesting, we'll do an article on you. And sir, currently, we don't really find you all that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was a bit of a humble pie. And then it was about a week later that Keith Mitchell reached out, to, or Kevin Mitchell, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, so uh, we don't do articles on you, but if you were to do an article about yourself, we could publish that. And so I wrote this very tongue-in-cheek article about myself saying, you know, these are the seven things that a great lighting designer director does, and I do all of these things, so <laughs> hire me. And, uh, and Nook thought it was really good. He thought that was very clever, so he gave me another shot at writing. And ever since then, I've been trying to do as many articles as I can about anything that's not overly technical. There's so many great articles already out there about how to program and the ins and outs of consoles and fixtures and cable and mm. power distro. And those are great. There's, there's, everybody needs that. Uh, it's just not my, it's not my interest. I, I'm more of the human interest part of the lighting. Cause that's what I think that's what we're in this business for is just, relationships and creating emotions and making people feel escape and release relief for just a few hours. Mm. Were there any specific moments that you find that you, you were talking how you thought it was all nice and easy until people made you believe or realize that it's not the same for everyone. And do you have some examples where you can tell us or what happened that made you realize that you were actually in a privileged position and that you could use that to benefit everyone in the industry? Okay. So the, the first time my blinders got totally knocked off was when I wrote an article for PLSN talking about how inclusive our industry was. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. So I wrote this, uh, I wrote an article about how I think that our industry is more inclusive than most. And I even went as far as to say like, oh man, Martin Luther King Jr. would be so proud of our industry. And I put that out there and, and I still think that we're more inclusive than most. I, I don't think, I think that the statistics show that we're, we're a little bit farther down the equality path than other industries. And I stand by that. However, I, I wrote it with blinders on and I did not consider that there's a lot of people who don't share my experience. And I got raked over the coals for saying, oh, straight white male, you think it's super, uh, super <laughs> inclusive. How about this time that I got uh, propositioned for sexual favors in order to get a job? How, how inclusive was that? Or other times like, oh, did you know that a lot of times when I'm on site, people just ask me where my boyfriend is because they don't think that I belong there or, you know, and I, and I had quite a few people, very vulnerable, reach out to me going like, yeah, 
you're right, but man, you were really wrong. And I had to talk to a lot of people and I had a lot of conversations with people that kind of reached out to me as a voice. I'm like, Hey, and they told, they let me know, like, you need to, you need to reach out to more people. You you've got some blinders on. And I talked to a lot of people that, that said, Hey man, thank you for sharing your experience, but it's definitely not an all inclusive experience. And it came from a place where I feel like I've had bosses, I've had supervisors, I've had coworkers of all gender, color, orientation. But what I didn't realize that oftentimes that one person of the of the minority is the only person on the tour. And now that my eyes have been open, I'm like, you're the only black person, or you're the only female, or you're the only uh, transgender person on this tour. And I now I see that a little bit differently. And at least, you know, I mean, the good thing is that it started a dialogue and I don't think you got self-defensive when, when feedback came in, you're like, okay, well, let's talk about it, you know, and that's a, that's a nice way to keep approaching. And, you know, sometimes people have to throw themselves out there because, you know, especially as I'm a white person, I'm a female, so there's, it's a different experience and coming from Australia, but there's unconscious biases that we all have. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. and until you start to look at them internally and start to address them one by one, it's like, Oh, okay. I see that about myself. Now I see that about myself. And often when we talk about cross, cultural communication which I do a lot of work on here in in Hong Kong is if really to understand another culture you have to first understand your own and that's not a culture between your country but also your own personal life culture of what you've brought brought up we spoke about the other day in our Black Lives Matter podcast about the experience in Australia my experience being a white Australian is completely different than an Aboriginal Australian and yeah. there's not a lot of an intersectionality between my experience of Australia and their experience of Australia and that's a whole undoing that needs to happen in our country Mm-hmm. So I find I find that fascinating, and it begins with, like what you did was opening that dialogue, and I think that's that's, that's a it's a good way forward, you know. Uh, I have to give full credit to my wife for helping me be less defensive. Yes, my first response was very defensive. I'm like, uh, my first response was, you know, who the hell are you? How can you not see how inclusive? I mean, we're the theater world. We're <laughs> a bunch of theater kids. We're all happy, love, joy back rubs and sleeping on the bus together, you know, but it wasn't until my wife was like, yeah, but that's only your experience. You you might be in the majority as a white male having that experience, but she really helped me out with that one. Can you tell us a little bit about art as a form of protest and why that's important to you and describe what that means to you? I have been so frustrated lately seeing people complain about artists voicing their political opinions. I don't know if people have just not noticed, but music and theater and art has always been political. If you're just now realizing that art is politicized, you haven't been paying attention at all ever. Even sport, sport is political. Everything is politicized. There's, there's nothing that escapes being politicized uh, and especially art. There's a lot of people that are saying like, well, I would have gone to that concert, but now that I know that they think this, I'm not going to go to that one. I'm like, well, that's what art is for. Uh, art is our way to express our innermost feelings and expressions and, and our opinions. And it goes out to the world to be broadcast to everybody so that they can find people who are, who can commiserate and sit in a room and listen for an hour and a half or two hours or however long and say, man, that, 
that vibes with me, that resonates with me, or it doesn't. But it makes me feel something. I feel that as artists and as production people, it's our job to take that message and amplify it and explode it and take it as far as it can go and and share it with as many people as we can. We, we need to take that message and pack it into trucks and then take it around the world and share it to, with more people. I, I get frustrated when people think that art is just supposed to be pretty pictures and happy songs. And it's just not, it, it never has been and it never will be. I did my bachelor in visual arts and it's a heritage that I will never deny. And I'm actually very grateful for, but I've, I've felt that division visual arts keeps that intrinsic idea of being political. And yes, you can do pretty stuff for the sake of being pretty or art for the sake of being art. But the whole history of art is political and it comes from a political point of view. And, and you can go in, in theater history and if you go back to Greeks and the satire and comedy, it's all political and we're talking about it. And sometimes when, uh, when I work in just commercial productions that can be very interesting or challenging, sometimes I'm like, but, but what are we saying? Like, why is this? And I don't know, it's just like self-process and, and questioning myself. Why am I doing something that it's not really saying anything? And what's the role money plays in all this? And what's the role consumerism plays and all this, because to put on a show, doesn't matter how little or how big it is, we need a lot of money. And if we need a lot of money, then we need to respect the view of whoever is putting that money because they're going to censor in some way or mm -hmm. put their vision. And so I don't know, I was very happy when I started reading about whether I agree or not on what you say and other people say, the fact that now we're looking back in music and performing arts to that political part of, of art. I don't know. I think it's important because at the end of the day, we do make people think. Yeah. Mm. It's a responsibility. You know, we are essentially, we're, should be a reflection of society. So if we're a reflection of society and we're ignoring the big issues, then what are we doing? You know, yeah. and and we, and we're and we're making people focus in this blinders. You know, I like your I like your analogy of the blinders, and they're not they're not focusing on what's actually going on in the life. And and so, mm -hmm. I, I've always thought that art comes with a huge responsibility. Especially, I always, you know, and and I I'm, Anna, it's interesting that you say that because I've often questioned myself in some of the projects that I've done as well with regards to who's paying for it and what are we actually doing and why. No, Anna, you mentioned uh, the probably the pinnacle of this discussion is that every project you're working on, you should ask yourself, what am I trying to say? If it's just saying this is pretty, eh, nobody cares. Lots of things are pretty. But if, if something's actually going to force somebody to reevaluate an opinion or move forward with something else, or if it's inspiring, or if it's going to force them to change some of their actions, that's worth talking about. That's something that's really worth our time, effort, and value. It's funny you were talking about, like, it's not new. I was educating my children on Michael Jackson videos, <laughs> as you do, and I, I put up, uh, and, you know, obviously when Michael, well, I was young when Michael Jackson was at his peak of his career, and I put on the uh, music video for What About Us? And I don't know if you remember that that song, but I, all of that, that whole video clip was a big political point 
at all of the major issues that were going on around the world. And so I'm sitting there watching this video and my kids are like, what are we watching? And I was like, wow, this was a huge statement, which I did not realise as a kid how uh, political that video was. And I was really amazed looking back on it, you know, 20 years later to see how how that was a thing. So is it, like you said, Chris, it's not new. People have been doing it all the time, pointing yeah. those things out. Yeah. If anybody think Norman Rockwell was just painting pretty pictures, you're like, you're, you weren't paying attention. You, you got to really look at what Norman was saying and what he was trying to portray with his very realistic images of what mm. he wanted people to think American life was like. You're like, well, it's kind of one perspective there. There's a... Uh, <laughs> Something, there's some people missing from a lot of Norman Rockwell's paintings, you know. We have a good question here, which I think is, you know, on this topic is, is there been particularly events that you think have been successful in its protest, in its activism? Um, and, and can you tell us about the ones that you think have been out there? Let's see. So let's go back to my teenage years. And this is the one that's been frustrating me most recently. Is when I got to hear Rage Against the Machine I'm like, oh my God, this, this speaks to me. This is telling me that we should question everything because even the people that we think are in power and in control, we think they know better, but they just don't. They're, they're, they're struggling just as, as much as we are. They're just a bunch of dumb monkeys on a spinning rock, just like we are. And Rage Against the Machine taught us to like question everything not to listen to authority without considering where they're coming from and what, what vantage point they're trying to push upon us. And now as an older person to see people not understand that Rage Against the Machine was always political. Like, how did you not, how did you not see that? What machine did you think they were raging against? Was it, it's not the washing machine, man. What, what did you think? Zach De La Rocha was yelling about, you know, I, I, it blows me away that people are just like, oh, thanks a lot for ruining Rage Against the Machine for me. Now that we know you have political views, like, did you not listen to a single lyric? What is? <laughs> it's um, so true. It's so true. Uh, I grew up with the Beastie Boys and at first they were just, they didn't really have a message until they expanded themselves and then they actually started touring and started seeing the world and then they became more and more Buddhist and they started doing charity events and they did free Tibet concert series. And like, I got to see my politics grow with their art. And I, I can't say that it didn't totally influence me and they didn't bring me into a new headspace. And those are the things that happen. And I feel like the Taylor Swift's, and uh, the modern temporary artists today, th there's going to be children that are going to be influenced the same. And I, it's weird to see that and uh, to listen to them switch their politics to and voice them. It's like, you know, they're, they're not doing anything that David Bowie wasn't doing that, you know, even Beethoven wasn't doing, you know. Mm. Uh, so a, a specific event, I have to say for me, the Tibetan Freedom Concert was one of the first political artist things that really had a huge impact on me. It's something I never would have known about in any other way if it hadn't been for art and my chosen band to bring it to me. 
you know, if, if BC boys hadn't told me about it, I wouldn't have known about the plight of Tibet. I want to try to link this to our, the reference anime to our, our black lives matter episode, but I was asking the guys on that podcast, or we were talking about this kind of double commitment that we have as a community in the live entertainment industry or community, one is the message we convey, and it's what we're talking about right now. And which which are the shows that you think have been interesting or important throughout history. And the other, I want to link it also to one of your articles, and it's what we do towards our own community. And you go into this idea when you write about the conversations we have in headsets. So this uh, this started a while ago. I was out with... Fleetwood Mac at the time. And I had realized that I was wasting a huge opportunity that I had to actually be able to go and talk to people from all over the world. So I was just doing normal headset conversations, you know, how are you doing? What's up? Blah, blah, blah. And it got mundane. And then finally, I realized that this is my chance to talk to not politicians, not anybody with any sort of agenda, but genuine human beings all over the country and all over the world. So I just started talking about politically charged things on headset. And the vast majority of my conversations on headset have been huge successes. I've had a few that were less than successful. And I've I've actually upset a few people, which is probably why the taboo exists that we shouldn't be talking about politics or religion or things like that over headset. And how do you start that conversation? It's like you're in the middle of the show and so they're like, so what does everyone think about Trump? Like, oh, the... man. <laughs> I okay. just want to see, I want to find out how you navigate into that on comms. <laughs> okay. So it started with one of my, one of my best friends who him and I disagree about 95% of things. He's a very individual libertarian and I'm stark raving liberal. And it started with him and me. So we would just have conversations on headset. And he is so intelligent. He's part of a debate team in college. And he's a wonderful human being. His name is Ronnie Beal. I love him to death. And God, if we could find just 10 things that we agree upon, we would talk about those things. But we can't. We can find <laughs> the 90 other things that we totally disagree upon. And every night, we would just start one thing And it would just start between Ronnie and I, and then we would just include other people in. And as soon as Ronnie and I got him, got him rolling, it would just start. And it just came flooding in. We had so many stagehands and spot ups that would just really want to be heard because if, if they were start raving liberal like me, they, then I would be on there and I would be able to cheer them on. But if they, if Ronnie was there, then they would have somebody else to, commiserate with them. And that, it just went really well. Uh, Some of the ones that really stand out was in Washington. We had a night where our artist was coming on late. So we had like a good hour on headset, just waiting. It was a constant standby and it was totally against all the rules. We were totally in standby and we were talking the whole time, but we ended up talking about gun rights for about an hour on headset with complete strangers Nobody got hurt. Nobody got angry. Nobody wanted to beat up anybody in the parking lot afterwards. We, I That's think amazing. We might have actually changed some viewpoints to a small degree, mm-hmm. but there was a couple of times where people were like, "Oh my god, I never, I'd never thought of it that way." Maybe 
maybe you have a point. And it was, it was one of those moments where like, Oh my God, we we're just touring rock and roll roadies. And we, we may have actually changed somebody's view on something in some small way. Mm. That was cool. And also to participate, you know, in, in that dialogue, but also then perhaps have an opinion that would then drive them at some point to vote. You know, it is always amazing mm-hmm. to coming from a country where it is compulsory to vote to a country where it's a completely voluntary uh, situation. And that just, that blows my mind because I remember being in the basement of the Beatles show in love many years ago in the creation and there were two stagehands arguing about, about the politics at the time and um, they were getting really heated about it. And I'm being ignorant Australian was like, hang on a second. And and then so I kind of stopped them because I was trying to calm it down a little bit. And I said, can I ask you one question, both of you guys? I said, in the last election, did you vote? And both of them had not voted. So I said, well, what's the point of having this argument if you're not going to go out there and vote? And it was like, and I was like, and and it's just because I couldn't understand. Like if you're not going to go out and vote, then it's just hot air, right? Like you can't participate in this conversation if we're going to argue about it, if you're not going to get in the game and vote, you know. So I I, I love that opportunity that you're providing for people to think about it because then if the more people that vote, then you have a say. Because I think what in the last election was 49% of the country voted, right? It was something like that. Yeah, I think it might have been less. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was pretty dismal in the United States for sure. So if only half the country is voting, wow. 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 Then, <laughs> then in reality, the, the nobody won. Nobody had the most votes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because it's not accurately represented, you know. So. Indifference won. <laughs> yeah, <sad>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's, I mean, and so do you continue to, do, I mean, obviously we're a little bit in a downtime right now because of the, um, the coronavirus, but is, is that something that you carried on between, you know, your first time and you, you continue to try and throw it in there when you, when you can? I'm still doing it. Uh, in fact, I did it last night. I, I am behind a console these days. I'm in Las Vegas and uh, I was having a long discussion with my associate designer to the point that he, he, he kind of came to me. He's like, all right, dude, I, that was uncomfortable. That was too much. And I'm like, okay, I'll back it down for a little bit. Uh, uh, discussions about veganism get a little bit more heated than any of the other ones. I, there's something about veganism that people are just like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about that at all. <laughs> they can talk about abortion and transgender rights and, you know. Uh, but it gets a veganism and you cross the line, right? <laughs> gets a vegan, you know, stop asking people to stop killing animals. They're like, yeah, I can't do that. So one of the ones that I did recently that was really good was I was out on Nicki Minaj and we had a long discussion about transgender rights between me and the opening band's LD, who was this total Texas kid. And he was great. He, he really wanted to get his opinions in there because he, he thought he had all the answers. And every once in a while, we'd, so we, we had this long discussion about transgender rights. And then 45 minutes into the conversation, one of the spot ups goes up, comes in, he's like, you guys, this has been great. My brother is now my sister and I have never had anybody to talk to about this outside of my family. And we ended up talking for like another hour about it. And he, it actually consoled him for him to actually have somebody available to talk to. I mean, he was an older, you know, late fifties truck driver spot op on the road. And he just, he had never had anybody to talk to about it. And just opening up that, that Avenue was like gold for him. And Mm. I think we talked about it four more times. (laughs) 
afterwards because you know he had so much to talk about. You feel there's like a reaction, or is there something with this idea of being backstage? I mean, it's already dark. You don't see each other. That's why you're on headset, and you might or might not recognize the voice on the other side of the headset. Is there? Do you feel there's some of this anonymity that comes into play? Yes, absolutely. And it's funny too because like I'm when it's me, like I'm like the guest pseudo philosopher, if you will, the guy who's just like getting the conversation rolling and they know that I'm just going to be gone the next day. It's the spot ops and the and the local crew that they're all they're all going to like team up on me and they're going to get me and they're going to they're going to enjoy this conversation knowing that I'm going to leave that night. And usually they they kind of really like, oh, well, shit, maybe this guy kind of might know what he's talking about. He might have like researched some of these things. And then I can at least usually get them to think something and at least have mutual respect. And that part is pretty cool. But the fact that I'm not looking them in the face and it's just the sound of my voice, there's definitely something inviting to that. Like there's when you and I look face to face, like we're, we're more akin to back down from each other because you can like, like if I can see that you're worried in your face or something, but when it's just somebody's voice, you're a little bit less willing to, to shy away and you can say more things. Uh, the complete extreme of that one is online. People are the worst online. They will just say any hurtful, mean thing And they refuse to back down online. You know, well, I think that's the thing. You, you, you kind of like take it one step closer that if you're live in a conversation between somebody, you've got to acquiesce some kind of dialogue between the two of you. When you're a right. keyboard warrior, it's you in your own house, like spitting out stuff and there's not a lot of, it's just like the next layer down, you know, before face-to-face. It's face-to-face on comms and then keyboard warriors, right? And so right. it's a nice um, space to to begin that before people have to feel, especially like, I guess with the, say, the transgender conversation or, you know, even stuff about abortion or even politics, some people are very, some people are very open about their opinions and then some people are very uh, not willing to dialogue on those those discussions knowing that their opinions may be very different to somebody else so they mm -hmm. just stay quiet, you know. So it's an interesting platform to, to, to initiate those discussions. I'm going to have yeah, to try right. that next time I'm on comms. It is kind of a middle path there. Like when I go to my family, I could never have some of these conversations because it would either get uncomfortable or we would have to completely acquiesce. And if it happens at my house, eventually somebody would say, well, let's just drop it right there. Yeah, let's just agree to disagree. Right. Whereas the other extreme is online, people like acquiesce is defeat. Whereas, you, you know, like I can't be proven wrong here no matter what happens because I'm in a public forum. But yeah, on calm is like this weird middle middle ground where people can be slightly anonymous, but at the same time, like you can tell. Like if I if you've upset me enough, I'm going to ask your name, and you'd be like, uh, "My name's Anna. Got to go." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just part one. <laughs> spot one, yes. Spot one has an opinion. Yeah. Spot six is staying quiet. <laughs> <laughs>
That's the other thing about being online is I, I have had a few people who just like, you know what, you guys, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to chime in. I just want to listen. And yeah, fair enough. That's you're totally welcome to just listen because we're all making our, you don't know where it's going. You don't know if there's an open mic somewhere back in production or, you know. Well, that's right, right? I mean, you know, some people have uh, comms stations back in their offices or, you know, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that adds a whole other level. You're like, whoa, my God, I hope, I hope I didn't say anything. You have to keep it polite to a certain degree because you don't know where that's going. Yeah, well, that's a, that's the other thing. In on a comms conversation, there has to be kind of it's a kind of a platform where, regardless of your position, there is a mutual respect of the job that you're doing, right? And and the communication that's required on that platform to get the job done, the show done, everything like that. So there's kind of a a, a framework in which you sit in as well that is of respect, yeah. which is another another added bonus to having that kind of conversation. You're not going to have anybody shouting on comms, I hope, about their political opinions, right? Right, because it's help. just not—it's not—it's not accepted, right? So you just—you're not going to sit there and get all um, shouty. I hope. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, you're just waiting for the shows to start, or you're on standby intermission, waiting for next year, whatever. But you're waiting for something else. You have a another purpose. Quote, quote, yes, exactly. Yeah. Another purpose. Yeah, I don't want to name some of my artists, but I've had some artists that just—they're 45 minutes late, no matter what. Uh, an hour late. So a standby was, standbys were just unreasonable. So, and I should put a huge disclaimer on this one that everybody should respect standbys. Uh, don't, if somebody is very adamant, like, Hey, no, you guys, we, we stick to standby rules. Then you should totally stick to those. But because I was the one in charge at the time, I did not respect my own standby rules, <laughs> but, oh, but uh, we should all respect standby rules. That they're, they're, Those are in place for a very good reason. I'll just uh, say, like, what do you do when you don't agree with the politics of your client? You know, I, that's come up a few times where you know, uh, my my clients are, are overly evangelical or something like that. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to sit back here and light you up and do my thing and not say anything. Does that ever come up for you, Anna? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what about you, Anna? Yeah, but I was thinking that it could, and it can actually be a way to start that conversation as well. When you're starting and you're seeing a show that I personally try to avoid them if I don't agree with them, I try to not take a job that I that goes against my my vision. But um, if you're seeing something and you're there watching the stage, watching what's going on or what's what's about to happen, and you don't agree with it, I think we all have said that on comms like. And then start that conversation, whether you agree or not. I was having this discussion just yesterday with a with a friend, uh, actually, and and I feel like, um, and she put a, a really good thought in my head because I said there's some things that I just I can't accept. You know, there's quite a distinct class system in the UAE that I have uh, trouble with. Um, there's certain pay grade inequities in Asia that um, that troubles us. You know, there's there's. There's a lot of layers in this part of the world where I work and I have to acknowledge my privilege and, and I feel like um, a lot of the times I feel bad because I say, you know, I'm working alongside one of the best designers I've ever worked with in, in, in Dubai and yet he's on a 
quarter of what I'm getting paid. And it's really difficult for me to feel like, and because that person is Indian, he's not going to have opportunities that I will have or his skill set that I, I see is absolutely amazing is never going to be really on the global global stages because of his ethnicity. And it's a huge issue for me. And and when it comes to clients that, that maybe treat people badly or have political opinions or they're in an infrastructure or cultural structure that I don't particularly agree with, she said, you can only do what you can do within your power. And I thought that was a really good uh, philosophy because there are certain things that are certain jobs I'm going to have to take to pay for my place, my kids, my um, my life um, in Hong Kong, and there's certain jobs I'm going to have to take to sustain that. Alternatively, I have a platform of Theatre Art Life where I can put out positivity and I can create inclusivity. I can re- raise two quality children that think of the world differently that may have an impact on this earth, and I can try and enforce changes in the places that I can in my monetary or my position do it and when there's the opportunity to fight for more equality or where there's those things there's that balance so you can't kind of beat yourself up in every instance because we have to survive in this industry but at the same time when you have that opportunity to take steps forward you have to it is your responsibility to take them and I feel like that's the way that I approach it but it is it's still there I have been I, I will not lie a couple of my projects particularly one I did many many years ago that ended up being a corporate event in Vietnam which was for a tobacco company and I walked away from that event saying I will never do a project for a tobacco company again because it was all of it the way that they were going to sell cigarettes in the Vietnam right so like fundamentally I just couldn't I couldn't get behind that and I knew when I walked away from that event that I was that was there's lines there right like I was like no I'm I can't enforce that I can't get behind that and I won't do an event for a company like that again so yeah you got to make those choices as you greet them you know wow yeah I guess to put it more quickly I mean you've had a tough time picking your battles in that regard I mean there are changes you can make but there's some things you just I mean Anna Rob can't take on big tobacco in Vietnam. You're you're outnumbered. You sabotaging a a, con- a conference isn't going to do anything. That's only no, going to look exactly. bad on you. One thing I can do, and I find a very great equalizer, and and it, it's been quite effective in some of the pla- some of the places that I've done, is despite maybe a particular class system or despite a particular social structure or whatever, if you come in and treat everybody with the equal respect. That's quite profound in some locations. Do you know what I mean? I remember uh, I've told this story before, but I have a friend who um, was doing a load in. I can't remember whether it was in Saudi Arabia or or the UAE, but he had a crew member that uh, was Lebanese, I believe, who got hurt and he called an ambulance. And everybody's like, why are you calling an ambulance? And he's like, because the guy's hurt. And in their mind was like, well, he's got it that kind of crew member gets to take care of themselves like let's be really open about that and and he was like well no he's a human being we're going to take care of him and so they were, they were questioned he was questioned when they called the ambulance he went to the hospital with him the hospital questioned him you really want to put your credit card down for this guy and he's like yes he's my crew member and you're going to take him into this hospital and you're going to fix him and so that and so that kind of attitude of like treating everybody with equality despite the fact that you're in a place where people don't um, necessarily exude those philosophies or those ways of thinking is quite a profound change because you do start to, people start to see that 
and people start, and like you said, little by little with little conversations in politics and something on comms, if people start to see a behaviour that starts to get them to think, oh, maybe maybe we could treat everybody equally, then then you can start to chip away at those issues. And that, that's what I talk about doing little by little things. You, you can do yeah. what you can do in, in your world and, and that that's the way that, you know, I feel like instead of staying out of the game, get in the game and do what you can do rather than uh, avoiding it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's yeah. the only way to, to change the world is to be participant in it and navigate those things as you approach them. Yeah, and our, our global economy is making it, easier and easier you know we're going to places like this and i've seen people where like why would you get a sandbag a sandbag is going to cost you ten dollars you can just get a a pakistani for nine dollars a day like what and you have to you have to do as much as you can like no these are these are people they're they're equal in every way that matters they should be making a, a living wage they should be doing everything that's becoming of a human with equal, equal rights. And the only way we can do that is by having conversations, whether it be on headset or in person that we can't force them to pay, you know, $15 minimum wage, but you can just keep poking and pushing. And you're like, no, you're, these people could be more free if you paid a living wage and you would be better off if you paid a living wage. Mm. Yeah. We got to have those little conversations everywhere. And the more, globalized we become the more visible we will become for sure have you done or have you have any of these conversations while negotiating your contracts uh yes i have uh i in fact when my most recent job i took i had to be very clear right off the bat like hey so there's this thing that i do and i'm online a lot and i have a very social internet presence Uh, there are people that love me to death. They think they love all the things that I have to say. And there are people that really, really don't like me. And part of my job is to build relationships. And I had to be as upfront with my employer as possible. Like, hey, I'm very present and I'm very visible in the industry. For better or for worse, you got to have to take that with me. Uh, I do have a name. I'm not one of the top designers or anything like that, but I do, I know a lot of people and I, and a lot of people know me thanks to my, my writing and my, my social, my online presence. And I hope that I keep that more of an asset and not a liability, but at the same time, I can't, I can't control that. I can't control how other people respond to me. The best I can do is say what I believe to be true. And I have to be as open and upfront and transparent about that. So yes, it has come up quite a few times. And if I if I've ever lost work because of it, I I hope I don't know about it. I hope people's like, yeah, that guy. I'm not going to hire him for this gig. He's, <laughs> He's too vocal. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would hope that uh, if anybody's doing a KKK rally or something like that, there, I hope that they've looked at my online presence and like, well, we clearly can't hire that guy. <laughs> I, I would hope that if there's uh, some multi-level marketing ploys out there, like, well, we're definitely not going to hire that guy. He's totally going to out us, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But oh, uh, beyond great. that, like, I, I'll take money from anybody, uh, anybody that, uh, anybody who isn't actively seeking to harm anybody else, I'll take their money. Uh, absolutely. I, I agree with you on the tobacco one. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, yeah. Just to listen to them lying about 
how to market tobacco and like, no, you're, you're hurting people. I couldn't do yeah. it. I mean, it's become such an unfashionable thing to smoke anyway these days. So, you know, I think, and it was a long time ago, but yeah, it was just, it was a very interesting when, when you actually, because it's the, it's, it's, there's a concept of it. Right. And then when you're in the room, when they're discussing the strategies, you're like, Whoa, that's when you're like, yeah, this is, this is next level. And that's not something I can get behind. So, yeah. so tell us about where can we find about your work and what's your own podcast called again? And so people can follow you on your social media stuff. Anything that you want to learn about me is uh, all online and present at www.q3lv.com. That's the letter Q, the number three LV.com. That's from when I lived in Las Vegas. Uh, I don't live in Vegas anymore. I live in Canada now, but everything is there. Uh, I'm also very present at PLSN magazine. I don't want to cross-contaminate any... uh, branding here but uh that's where i'm most vocal oh good oh good ld at large linkedin is that your podcast too what's the name of your podcast the ld at large podcast ld at large podcast. yeah i'm on linkedin i'm on instagram i'm on facebook chris lose l-o-s-e it's pretty easy to find me i'm uh i'm pretty wide open and transparent you can totally at me and Keep me, uh, you can pester me. If you, uh, if you agree with any of the things I say, just like it. And if you, to- if you disagree with any of the things I'm saying, please come at me because I have, I'm very opinionated. I got, I, I, I hope that I've done as much of the research as I can to back up most of my opinions. Anytime my opinions are outdated, I tend to just toss them out like a bad apple and try and reformulate to something newer and better. So I'm always, I'm always up for listening. If you find me, hit me up. Wonderful. Thanks again for your time today, Chris. Thank you, Anna. Thank you both, Annas. Sure. And uh, make sure everyone to check out his articles on the Theory of Life website as well. Thank you so much. Please write a review on our podcast whenever you listen to our podcast. Let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life by visiting our website at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on social media and leave your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We really want to thank David Zaya for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Sharotta, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world.